0: Have you ever been stuck? Now, if you have drove for any length of time, at some point you probably have been. Most of the time around here, we don't have to worry a whole lot about being stuck. But more recently, thankfully, that hasn't been the case. Um, when you get stuck, it's just frustrating, isn't it? You try to go forward, and you're throwing mud. You you try to go in reverse, and you just find your vehicle sinking deeper and deeper and deeper. Do you ever feel stuck spiritually? Like you just can't seem to move ahead in your faith, maybe your love for the Lord feels as if it's kind of grown cold. Maybe, maybe it feels like you, you want to mature, you want to you want to get to know Jesus more, but when you try to move, really nothing happens. You're you're stuck. Well, this morning we're going to talk about a key to getting unstuck as we continue our journey through the book of James. We'll be in James chapter one you would like, you're invited to take a pew Bible there in front of you and turn to page 1071 and you can follow along with us. Let's look at James 1 beginning in verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror, for he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works." this person will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless, and he deceives himself. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. In this text, James teaches that we should be transformed By the Word of God. If you want to get unstuck, the Word of God is going to be key. So let's look at this text and let's ask the question, how can we be transformed by God's Word? Well, back in verse 18, James said that God gave us birth through the word of truth. What did he mean? He means when we heard his word, when we heard the gospel, we responded and he gave us spiritual birth. He he saved us. Now in verses 19 and, and following, James begins to talk about how the word is critical in helping us to mature, in helping us move ahead, in helping us grow in our faith. In verse 19, he commands believers to know or understand that having a right attitude is critical. When it comes to grasping the word of God, he says there that the attitude of our heart affects whether or not the words of God are going to seep in. He urges believers to be quick to listen and slow to speak. In essence, James says the same thing twice. I wonder why he says be quick to listen and slow to speak two times. I think it's for this reason, because he recognizes that we're a bunch of folk who are good at running our mouths but not so good at listening. Isn't that true for most of us? But a person who loves to hear himself speak, he can't learn. No person's got to be willing to listen. The attitude of the heart when it comes to the word matters. Similarly, a person who's given to anger isn't likely to have the kind of attitude that's going to lend itself to, to understanding and grasping, to listening to the word of God. So when we hold on to angry feelings, when we hold on to unforgiveness, when we hold on to bitterness because of resentment toward God, perhaps because of trials that he's allowed us to endure, or resentment toward others, these things keep us from being able to hear the word of God. They don't lend themselves to a listening ear. Ecclesiastes 7.9 sheds light on this. Solomon says, don't let your spirit rush to be angry, for anger abides in the heart of fools. So our anger, James says, doesn't lead to the righteous life that God desires for us. Instead, our anger often leads us to to sin. So both being slow to speak and being slow to anger point to to what kind of heart? A humble heart. A heart that, that wants to hear, that wants to learn. A humble heart is essential for being transformed by the word of God. You can't be transformed if your heart isn't humble. So if you want to be transformed by the word of God, you've got to have a heart that's willing to be informed by the word of God. So how can we be transformed by the word of God? How can we get unstuck in our lives spiritually? Well, in verses 19 and 20, the word teaches us, listen to God's word. Listen to God's word. Have a heart that longs to hear from him as you come to his word. We can't be a know-it-all who's always running our mouths. We can't be a hothead who sees the wrongs in everyone else. No, we must have a humble heart that longs to understand the word of God and how it affects our lives. Now, we come to scripture often and have a tendency to play a game called Bible ricochet. I'll bet you've heard of it. I'll bet you've experienced it. So we hear preaching and we ask our wives after the service, hey, honey, did you get that? Or we elbow our spouse and we whisper the name of someone who really needs to hear this message. Or have you ever wanted to turn around a few pews back and say, hey, lady, are you getting this? So often we allow the truths of Scripture to hit our hearts and bounce right off, Bible ricochet. But how should this idea of listening to the word, how should it affect our lives, our thinking? Well, first, we need to ask a question. Do you have a teachable heart that longs to learn? Do you have a teachable heart that longs to learn? Or do you already know everything? It's often been been observed that God gave us one mouth and two ears for a reason. We need to be willing to listen and to learn from the word. We need a teachable heart. So get alone with the Lord and say to Him, help me to have the right kind of heart. Help me to have a teachable heart so that I can hear Your Word, listen to Your Word, grasp Your Word. Second, is anger preventing you from listening to the Word of God? Is anger keeping you from from hearing what the Word has to say? If you allow anger, unforgiveness, and bitterness to mount up in your life, well, it's something like earwax you'll forgive me for bringing up a topic like this, but what happens when earwax builds up? Well, it builds up and it builds up and eventually it affects your hearing. The same thing is true when we allow anger and resentment and unforgiveness to build up in our hearts. It makes it almost impossible to to listen to the word of God as we read it. We're too focused on what everyone else has done wrong. We we can't hear. We, We can't recognize that God has a word for me. No, all I can see is what God has done that wronged me, or all I can see is what so-and-so has done that wronged me. So if we want to hear from God, if we want to listen to the word, we need to get that gunk cleaned out of our heart so the word can sink in. So we're transformed by God's word when we listen to his word, when we listen to his word as we read it. In what other ways are we transformed? Or we could say, in what other ways can we get moving in our spiritual lives and get unstuck? Well, let's look. In verse 21, James commands believers here to receive the word. Receive the word. Now, the word for receive means to accept or or to gladly take something. Now, let me give you an example. Suppose you ordered something uh, at Amazon that you're really anxious to get, something that you can't wait to get your hands on. The day comes, it's supposed to be delivered. UPS comes to the door. You hear the doorbell ring. You get up. And you go to the door and you're eager. Let's see, let's see, let's see if this is what, what I'm expecting. You go to the door, you're ready to receive what that delivery fella has to give you. And that is how we're to receive the word. We're supposed to be eager to receive what God has for us in his word. The same word that's used for receive here is also used in Acts 17, 11 to describe the Bereans. Let me read. The Bereans are those who received There's that word, received the word with eagerness and examined the scriptures daily. There's a sense in which our hearts are open, longing to receive the word of God. Now, in this verse, James gives a couple of prerequisites for for being able to receive the word of God. The first is that we get rid of all filth and the evil that's so prevalent. Now, this idea of getting rid of filth in our lives is a picture of a person taking off clothes that are filthy. Just, just clothes that are covered in filth. Just take them off and get rid of them. Before we can hear the word of God, we have to do that. In fact, the the, the tense of this verb indicates that a one-time action, a time in our life where we go, you know what? I'm following God, and I don't want to live this way any longer. I'm taking all that mess, and I'm throwing it off. It's, I'm done with that. I am done with that. And so that's what James is saying. Get rid of all of that stuff. Don't hold on to your sin. Take it off. James also says to get rid of the evil that is so prevalent. Now, the word for prevalent can mean residue or remainder. And this is interesting. It's as if Christians are to get rid of all the filth that's in our lives, take all that stuff off. But then he recognizes that even after we've been saved, there's still a residue of of who we used to be. Uh, One writer said it like this. The evil that James is speaking of is the evil that's like a bad hangover from our pre-conversion days. It just sort of sticks around. And James says if you want to get the word, you need to recognize that that stuff and the word don't go together. Now the second prerequisite that James gives is similar to what he's already said in verse 19. We must have an attitude of humility. We see that in, in this verse. We must have a teachable and a humble heart. Now, have you ever tried to teach something to a know-it-all? It It doesn't stick, does it? It just doesn't stick. James says we can't be a know-it-all if we want to know God and we want to know his word. Next, James will use an analogy of a garden, a picture of of a seed, the word being like a seed planted in our hearts. But leading up to, to this picture of, of the word being planted in, in our hearts like a garden, he said, get rid of the impurity and the sin. And if you think of a garden, that's something like clearing off the land, getting rid of the weeds and, and, and the brush and the things that would keep you from being able to plant a garden, clearing all of that out, getting rid of the filth that's in our lives, the, the garbage that's in our lives is like clearing that land. And then having a humble heart is like cultivating that soil, preparing that soil for the seed, that the seed might grow, that the seed might develop. And so God says that the word is implanted in our hearts. You see, when you trusted Christ, the gospel became a living reality in your life. Your heart was changed and transformed. The the word is living inside of you. And so James says, receive that word that, that's within you, that, that good news that, that Jesus gave, the reality of the gospel, that he, that he died on the cross, that he was buried, that, that he was raised to life. Let that reality, let that reality take root, receive it. And he says, this word can save your soul. So he's, he's giving a reason that folks ought to receive the word. They ought to receive the word because the word saves our souls. Now, James is not just talking about the point at which we became a believer. When we turned away from our sin and we put our faith in Jesus and we were saved. At that moment, we were in the hands of God for all. He's not just talking about that moment in time, but the word for for save in scripture often refers to the process of sanctification where God begins to change us and shape us and remake us, makes us different people. He begins to transform us. So this word saves us. It makes us right with God. This word changes us. And also this word ultimately, when when we have the word, when the gospel is in our hearts, it ultimately results in our glorification. In other words, it results in one day spending all eternity with God in heaven. So why get a hold of the word? Why receive the word? Well, James says, because it saves your soul. It changes you. So how? Can we be transformed by the word of God? Well, from verse 21, we take hold of the word. Take hold of the word, receive it. With a commitment to purity and with a humble heart, we eagerly receive the word of God into our lives. Now, do you remember an experience that that you had when you were separated from a loved one for one reason or another? Maybe it was military service, maybe it was training, maybe it was a job. Maybe it was some sort of travel. But for one reason or another, you were separated from from your loved one. And the day was coming that that he or she would be arriving. And you go to the airport, expect that you're going to pick them up from the airport. You're waiting for that plane to land. And when the plane finally lands, you lay your eyes on your wife, your husband, your mom, your dad, your child, whoever it is. And you wrap your arms around them. You're holding them. You embrace longer than you normally would. It's been a while since you've seen each other. Yeah, that is a picture of how we need to be when it comes to this book. We take hold of it. We we grab it and say, I need this. I I want this. I, I want to take hold of this. You see, if you want to be transformed by the word of God, you must have a heart that longs to be conformed. To the word of God. You've got to have a heart that longs for the word. So how do we live in light of this truth? Well, first get rid of the filth that's in your life. Get rid of the filth that's in your life. If you want to hold on to sin, the power of the word of God won't be evident in your life. This is not a buffet. I'll take a little of this and I'll take just a teensy bit of that. No, if you want the power of God and the reality of the word to be at work in your life, you can't hold on to your sin How well do oil and water mix? Well, that's how good sin and the word of God mix. It's been said that the word will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from the word. And that's the the short of it. That's the long and short of it. If you want to know the word of God, you can't keep holding on to the sinful filth in your life. You've got to let it go. This means we need to be careful of the media that we take in. If you're watching movies and videos and listening to music that are filled with innuendo and impurity, you're not serious about getting a hold of the word. That's like going to the door with the UPS guy and kind of opening and closing it. You just close it, close it, leave it, close it. No. If you're serious about receiving the package, you're going to open the door and say, yeah, thank you. But, but when we're playing games with our sin, we're, we're, we're playing games that aren't going to lead to taking hold of the word. You can't treasure sin and the word at the same time. So I ask you, friend, what do you need to get rid of? What is in your life that you need to to take off and say, I'm done with that? Maybe it's a show you watch that constantly fills your heart with with things you don't really need to be thinking about and dwelling on. Maybe it's a site that you you visit. I, I can't answer that, but you know the Spirit of God convicts. He puts his finger on the spot in your life, the places in your life that don't add up. What, what do you need to get rid of? Friend, if you want the word, if you want to get unstuck, you've got to let that go. You've got to let it go. Next, ask the Lord to help you have a humble and hungry heart for his word. Have you ever tried to feed someone who didn't want to eat? Well, from my experiences with children, if you can somehow trick them and get the food in their mouth, you can't keep it there. When, when I, usually it's eggs. I try this frequently with Audrey. Um, she's uh, uh, 22 months maybe, and she hasn't liked eggs, and I keep thinking, well, maybe now she's going to like them, so I can try to get her to eat. She's not going to take them. Well, then I'll somehow trick her. It's not staying. If she doesn't want them, she's not keeping them. Now, what we need to see is we've got to want the word in our lives, if, if we really don't want the Word, it's not going to stay. We, we've got to want the Word. We've got to have a heart that's hungry for the Word of God. So if you don't have that heart, then what do you need to do? Cry out to God and say, God, change my heart. Give me a hunger for the right things. Lord, I've got a hunger for these things that are wrong, that are bad. But God, give me a hunger for the things that are right and good. Give me a hunger for your Word. Lord, help me to keep it in my mouth. Next, consistently take in God's Word. Read the Word daily. Take time regularly to study His Word and to go deeper. But every single day, be in the Word. I don't mean just like you read one single little verse. I mean spend some time in the Word. Even if it's only five, ten minutes, spend some time reading the Bible. Open up the Bible. Read through a book of the Bible, day by day. Just like we preach through books of the Bible here, read the Bible in the same way. Study the Word. See what the Word has to say. If you don't have a place that you're reading, jump in at the New Testament. If you, if you haven't been reading a lot regularly, probably not the best idea to, to, to start in Genesis. It, it, there can be some, some really tough to understand passages or, or in reading through beginning in Genesis. But why not? If you, haven't, if you maybe haven't had a, good, a Bible reading plan, jump in in the New Testament. Start reading in Matthew. Just read a bit day by day and begin to study the Word of God. Take it in, take it in, take it in. Listen to the word when it's being taught in worship. Make being a part of worship a regular part of your family's rhythm, not something that you work in every now and then. Listen to good, solid podcasts and and preaching. Um, Aside from from worship services, always be finding ways to take in the word of God. Discuss the word and how it applies to your life with with friends in in small group or, or Sunday school class. So so that the word is being discussed and and how it applies can be thought through. And with your spouse and children, read the word and discuss it at at meal every day, at at dinner time. Take a verse or two and read the word and talk together about it as a family. Do a little time of family worship together each day. You see, we are transformed by God's word as we eagerly take hold of it, as we receive it. How else can we Be transformed by his word. How else can we get unstuck and get moving in our Christian life? Well, we see the next command that James gives in these verses is this in verses 22, in verse 22 be doers of the word. Be doers of the word. The word of God isn't merely for studying and knowledge. How many people, how many of us treat the word of God almost academically, almost as if It's a book to be studied as if it's knowledge to be gained. No, we must come at the word as if we want to be changed. We want to be made a new person. That's the reason that that God has given us the word, that, that we might be changed. That we might read and study. And then that our lives might be transformed. Now the tense of the verb, be doers. Indicates an ongoing action. This is not a one-time action. This is an ongoing action. Believers are to always be doing the word. So when it comes to obeying the Lord, when it comes to living out the word, we're not supposed to be a one-hit wonder who sort of does what he says for a day or two. No, we're supposed to consistently strive to live a life of living out the truths of God's word. Now the word that's used for hear in this text during ancient times was often used of a person who would go to attend a a lecture, a person who would go to hear a lecture. But the word that was used of of someone who was a disciple or a learner was different. So a hearer is just someone who goes to hear, not a person who has an intention of putting what's heard into practice. So those who only hear the word through reading or teaching, but who don't put the word into practice, James says they deceive themselves. This person may view himself or herself as very spiritual. They've learned so much. But if the truth isn't lived out, the Bible says the person is deceived. Now, as a pastor, I see this deception sometimes in regards to people's attitude toward church. You can't read the New Testament honestly and not see how central the church is meant to be in the lives of Christians. Jesus worked to, us to, to, to bring together a group of disciples who would become the church. We see that happening at the day of Pentecost. And then as, the, as, as God's spirit blazed in the church, what was happening? Well, there were churches being planted everywhere. The gospel was being chaired. Churches were being planted everywhere. How did God intend for the gospel to, to, to be made known to the world? Well, it was through the church, through the church planting churches, this church, that church. And the gospel would spread in that regard. And when you look at the epistles in the New Testament, almost all of them are written to a church or to a leader of a church. So it's really hard to read the New Testament and not realize and recognize that it's a book about believers who love Jesus being involved in the life of a local church. And yet, I can't tell you the number of times I've met folks who say to me, I am a strong, mature Christian. I've got no use for the church. It's just a mess to be involved in the church. I, I, I walk with the Lord. I love the Lord. I'm very spiritual. But the church for them is more like an accessory than a necessity. And what I see is that when we don't strive to put the truths of the word into our lives, we deceive ourselves. We trick ourselves. We convince ourselves. And friend, that can happen to you and it happens to me. When we just hear, but we don't strive to put it into to practice, we, we become self-swindlers. We lie to ourselves. It's dangerous. To be a hearer only is terribly dangerous. Next, James illustrates this point in verse 23. He says that if someone's a hearer of the word only, he's like a man who looks at himself in the mirror. But as soon as... As he sees himself and walks away, he can't remember what he looks like. This fella could look in the mirror and a moment later couldn't pick himself out of a six-pack photo lineup. That's what James is saying. The word of God is a mirror. It's a mirror. And it reveals the soul. It reveals the soul as it truly is. It reveals what needs to be cleaned up. It reveals what needs to be changed. Can you imagine leaving for work every day or going to the store or whatever you do without looking in the mirror? It would be pretty embarrassing, couldn't it? And you know what? The word of God is that mirror for our souls. It helps us see us as we truly are. But the word goes beyond just being a mirror. The word doesn't just show us who we are. The word shows us the grace of God and helps us to see who we can become. It helps us see the possibilities that are there. In verse 25, the doer is one who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. Now, this isn't a glance, but this is a gaze. He's he's gazing upon the word. He's not coming to the Bible lazily, lazily or haphazardly. No, he's coming to the Bible with intentionality. He wants to understand the word of God. He wants to know it, wants to live it. So he perseveres in studying the word. As one author said it, the Bible does not yield its fruit to the lazy. Folks, this is not a Bible reading plan. Hey, I haven't read the Bible in six months. I'm in a pinch. God, I'm gonna open it up and just read something. Friends, that's not the way you come at the Bible. How how do you come at the Bible? You read it, and you study it day by day, day by day, and God speaks and changes you. Often, we we want some like zenith moment, some eureka moment, like, whoa, there were flashes of lightning. Man, I got this warm feeling. It was incredible. That's what we want when we come to the Word, but friends, it's often not like that at all. It could be, but you know what it often is? It's just God slowly taking sandpaper. First, he's using the the 200 grit, 500 grit sometimes. He's working the edges off. It's not obvious at first. Then he'd get a little finer. He can go down to 150, begin to smooth those edges off. And then he can go to, I'm, I'm getting it backwards, aren't I? I've got it backwards. <laughs> it's the lower grit. Okay, reverse that. You know what I'm saying. Just, just realized it. Eventually, he can get to the 500 grit. And smooth those edges out. Smooth those edges out. So it's often not some big, just cataclysmic experience. No, it's the day-by-day day God shaping us and changing us. God remaking us. Yes, this is a picture of, of why we want to be in the Word. It reveals our soul. It helps us to change James says that the person who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. You see, God's word brings liberty. In other words, when we read the word, God's word helps us to change and to do what we ought to do. You know what, if I want to party, if I want to live it up, if I want to do whatever I want to do, that mindset, it never leads to freedom. In the end, it only leads to bondage. As sin gains a greater And greater grip upon my life. The word brings liberty. The word helps me to begin to change. Where sin no longer has control of me. And now I'm free. I'm truly free. I'm free to do what I ought to do. I'm free to do what's right. That's liberty. Not trapping yourself in sin. Not finding yourself in greater and greater bondage to to, to this sin or that sin. No, God's word brings liberty. Now in verses 26 and 27, James gives... Three tests to reveal whether or not the word is being lived out in our lives. The first test is a test of speech. So a person can be very involved in religious activities, can be involved in church and all sorts of other religious activities, but not honor God with their speech. In a sense, James says that true Christianity saves not just the tongue. Pardon me, I'm sorry. Saves not just the soul, but true Christianity also saves the tongue. He saves The way we speak. He changes the way we speak. So if a person is very religious, that is involved in all kinds of activities, but whose words don't match up, James says, this isn't the real deal. It's not faith lived out. If we're truly believers, we're going to seek to honor God in the way that we talk. So if a person's religious, but their words are anything but, you know what James says? The person has deceived themselves. They've swindled themselves into believing something that isn't real. The kind of religious that doesn't change lives, James says here, is worthless. It's of no purpose. Next, James gives another test. How do we treat the weak and the hurting? How do we treat the vulnerable? True Christianity is revealed by a concern for those who are hurting. Real faith is going to demonstrate a concern that acts, a concern that moves Now, do you remember the Pharisees, the Pharisees during the time of Jesus? These were the people who were super spiritual. They they had it all together. They were super spiritual. And yet, Jesus describes them in Mark 12, 40 as those who devoured the homes of the widows. What was Jesus saying? He said they claim to be super spiritual. They're involved in all kinds of religious activities, but they take advantage of the weak. They harm the poor. That's not real faith. Real faith cares for the hurting. The third test that Jesus gives is the test of moral purity. Genuine faith actively seeks purity and doesn't want to be stained by the garbage of the world. So believers are to pursue purity, purposely avoiding situations, temptations that could lead them to compromise. They want to avoid that. The word lived out leads to a changed life, a life that's morally pure and clean. So how can we be transformed by the word of God or how can we get unstuck and moving again? Well, we need to live the word. We need to live the word. By the grace of God, we strive to apply what the Bible teaches to our lives. A heart that longs to live the word is essential if we would be transformed by God. Now, do you remember being a junior higher and playing your first sport in in school? Uh, for, for boys, uh, a lot of the times it's football. And there'll be some seventh grade boy out there who dreams of being Tom Brady. He's watching Tom Brady videos. He's reading Tom Brady uh, interviews. What did Tom Brady do? How did, he, how, how did he do this? How did he practice? He practiced so many hours. I'm going to try to practice that many hours. And, and this boy is out there trying to throw that ball like Tom Brady and he'll keep working at it, and he'll keep working at it. Now, this is what we need to do when it comes to the Word of God. We want to learn it. We want to study it. We want to strive to practice it. We want to keep coming back to it. We we just want to keep on. Now, while that seventh-grade boy may eventually decide that, that his dream isn't to be the next Tom Brady, we must never, ever give up in practicing the Word. We must always keep going back and striving to put it into our lives by the power of the Spirit until God us home. We strive to live out the word of God. So how should the reality of living out the word change our lives, look in our lives? Well, let's ask some questions to help us think about this. First, do you live out the word? Do you live out the word? Do you allow his word to shape your thinking, your attitude, your conversations, your actions? See, the word is meant to permeate every area in your life. The way you act on the job, the way you talk at home who you are when no one's around, how you drive. And the list could go on and on and on. Every area of our lives are meant to be shaped by the truths in this book. Do you live it out? Next, do your words reveal the reality of of a faith that's lived out? Do your words reveal the reality of a faith that's lived out? Do your words build others up or cut them down? Are your words filled with truth or lies? Are your words marked by praise or profanity, by purity or filthy jokes? You see, your words reveal your heart. Jesus said that in Luke 6, 45. What do your words reveal about your faith? Next, does your treatment of the vulnerable reveal a faith that's lived out? Does your treatment of the vulnerable? You know, we can talk about loving others, but the question is, do we act? Do we strive to really care for the orphans and the widows, for those who are weak? Now, recently as a church, we've presented some opportunities to you to, to, to sort of take steps in this direction. Through our adopted school program, we've encouraged you to, to, to volunteer at the schools and to be a mentor. W- would you pray about that? Would you consider that? Here's a way to help a, a student who's at risk, who's hurting. Here's a way to care, in a sense, for, for the vulnerable. Others of you might really consider fostering or adoption. There are all kinds of ways we can live the truth of this out. But do we really care? Do we really talk? Do we really act or is it just talk? There are other opportunities that you could consider. If you, if you want to be involved in serving, you could, you could visit folks in our congregation who are homebound and who are in care facilities. We've got a, a, an opportunity for you to do that. Visit with Susie Carroll about it or let us know in the office if you'd like to go and brighten a day of one of our, our older folks or one of our folks who, who's infirmed. You see, real faith cares, real faith acts not just a good talk next does your moral lifestyle reveal the reality of a faith that's lived out when I was a boy I lived in the country and I played outside all the time when I'd get home from my school my, uh, from school my mom would say to me hey change your clothes get your play clothes on sometimes I would say to her oh mama please I'll be careful oh please I didn't want to waste the time to change clothes I just wanted to get outside and play and so occasionally she would let me but inevitably she was always right I always ended up with mud on my clothes, with evidence that I'd been in the chicken pen, with paint, rust, something. There was always something there. Well, in reality, my focus was never on keeping my clothes clean. My reality, my, my, my focus was just on having fun. And the, sh- the truth of it is that we're often like this when it comes to our own moral purity. Our words may say one thing, but our lives reveal the truth. And so I ask you, if you're a believer, are you striving to really walk in purity? Are you striving to really live a life of moral purity, of holiness, of righteousness, by by God's power and through his strength? Or does your moral lifestyle reveal that you really don't care? that the word isn't that important to you. Now think of someone you know who really, really loves Jesus. All of us can probably think of somebody who almost seems to ooze the love of Christ. This person really, really loves people. She faces adversity with a certain joy that that the spirit brings. Integrity is is a, a hallmark of her life. Service to others is is a part of who she is. Can you think of a lady like that or a fellow like that who just loves the Lord? I'll make you a promise. I'll make you a promise. She regularly spends time in this book. It's a guarantee. If she loves Jesus, she's a woman of the word. If he loves Jesus, he's a man of the word. She comes to this book with an open heart that longs to know God and obey him. Her love for Christ inspires us. And make no mistake, the reason is because she's a woman who has spent many an hour in her life right here in the Word of God. So do you want to get unstuck in your Christian life? A primary way that God helps us get moving and maturing in our walk with Christ is through His Word. So take hold of the Word and let the Word take hold of you. Let the word take hold of you. So believers, get in the word every single day. Pick a specific time, a specific place that you'll strive to read the word. Now, I know there will be exceptions, but strive each day to be there with the book every day, same time, same place. Do what it takes to get into this book with an open heart and let the word of God begin to slowly shape you and change you. Yes, he will transform you through his word. Get in the book If you're not yet a Christian, I want to speak directly to you for a moment. The the Word of God says that you're estranged from God, that that you're separated from Him because of your sin. It's true for all of us. You see, God is pure and clean and undefiled, but every one of us is, is guilty of sin. Our sin, it's unacceptable to God, and because of our sin, we can't be in a relationship with God. But this is what God did. He loved so much that He sent His own Son to come. And Jesus came to this earth and he lived the perfect life and he died on the cross. And when he died on the cross, he took the penalty for your sin, my sin upon himself. And he made a way for our sins to be washed clean. Jesus was buried and he came back to life. And friend, I want you to know, if you turn from your sin and you say to Jesus, I'm tired of doing things my way. I believe you died and rose again and I want to follow you. The Bible says that God will save you and he'll never ever let you go. You'll know this, this word of God that saves the soul. If you do not know him, why not today? Why not today? Why not turn to him in faith today and be saved? Let's pray.